Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome, JC. Howdy. This is our last show from Missouri. Uh, we will be in back in home studio tomorrow. And so we have a short show for you today before we fly out and just wanted to make sure that we got into you uh, without playing a rerun today. And I wanted to start off by talking about um, the Trump 1776 commission. It's, it's interesting because Trump, according to, well, Trump gave a speech uh, and on September 17th signed a proclamation extolling our country's virtues and praising our founding fathers for their courage, wisdom, and insight and sacrifices as they crafted a constitution that would guard and guarantee life and liberty for all United States citizens. As this is uh, what I'm reading from the Washington Times. And he also mentioned that he wanted to start a 1776 commission. I thought that was funny, JC, because to me that sounds a little bit like the seventeen, uh, the 1619. Yeah, it's you know? a response to that. <laughs> it's a response to the 1619 thing. And it's crazy because people are losing their minds. The Guardian has this headline, Trump 1776 commission is proof America is spiraling towards fascism. But then you have the National Review says Trump's 1776 commission's uh, patriotic education is a worthy cause. And and then you also now, all of a sudden, JC, I'm watching in the liberal papers, NPR, New York Times, um, even in the Washington Post, people freaking out on social media. The president of the United States has no authority to dictate what our schools are to teach. <laughs> yeah, that's not what they were saying when... When when Barack Obama was putting forward, um, yeah. his, what was he put forward? Common Core. What was the other one that he did? Well, it's, it's nice. And then Bush did Race to the Top. <clears throat> right. and Yeah, that's the predecessor. It, it's, it's nice, regardless of what becomes of it, just, just the move in that direction, just the initiative now draws these mm-hmm. leftists out to come on the record of standing in opposition to the very things they've advocated. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, President <laughs> Trump lays a trap regardless of again what what they create or don't create. Once again, he's laid a trap for the leftists to go against themselves. Well, in the commission I, I I don't see anywhere in the commission where the president is dictating what will be taught. So you have a lot of a lot of people out there, even on reason, was saying that, you know, the federal government shouldn't dictate what local schools across the country teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have said that from from the very beginning. We have said that. And, and that is true. The federal government has no authority to dictate what our local schools teach. James Madison gave that warning in 1792. But the thing is, even Common Core is not mandated by the federal government. It's the acceptance of federal money that ties the school districts to 
the common core to the federal curriculum right and so remember the schools are not mandated now they just simply have to refuse the federal money then they don't have to take the federal curriculum but we've been brainwashed and our school districts have been brainwashed and our teachers and our parents have been brainwashed into thinking that the federal government is actually mandating these things and they don't really have a choice and and i think there's a there's a big under, there's a larger understanding in the parents that this stuff is not mandated than in the school districts themselves. So you have school districts, you have uh, departments of education who are saying, no, we have to do this. And the parents are saying, no, we don't want to do this. So just something to keep your eyes on. Uh, remember, I don't want to, you know, hurt anybody's feelings but teaching American history, teaching about the Founding Fathers, is only a good thing if you have people who are going to teach the truth about that. Yeah, I think one good thing about the controversy is that it, it, brings, it, um, it brings it to the surface and, then, and, and just launches the ability to have the truth out there. Right. Okay, right. so just just the fact of the president has sort of put forth this counter to sixteen nineteen in a manner that that captures the spotlight. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, we do this every day, but not everybody has the national, in fact, global spotlight mm -hmm. that the president of the United States has, regardless of who he is uh, or she is. <clears throat> um, so. It either intentionally or as an unintended consequence causes causes people drives people to actually go search for the truth, go bring up the truth. I'm glad for the controversy because because the truth is the truth. So if people actually make it to the truth, it stands for itself. You know that's the whole problem with the 1619 project is they are they are an intermediary interpreting for people you know what is supposedly the truth and it's not so if the people actually dig they go digging you you set up this sort of conflict where people have to decide oh well are these people telling the truth or are these people telling the truth there's only one way to solve that and that's go back to the sources so this has somewhat of an influence to drive people to uh, seek out original source material and once and for all learn the truth and, you know, we believe that we have the truth on our side. If people actually learn the full scope of the history, uh, then it supports where we stand and, and what we believe a vision of America ought to be. Well, and it's so great overall, because, it's a really I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, because we have been teaching for going on 11 years now that we have to start taking back the narrative. And part of the problem that we have is that we have been in in the the media platform, social media platform, continually stuck in a situation where we're, where we're responding to the negative yeah. rather than promoting the positive. And that's one of the things that we've been really trying to get people to do. Don't, or, don't get stuck in the narrative of constantly saying, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. But get into the narrative of saying, this is what's right. Yeah, I mean, you have, don't even have, have to, something to say. Yeah, don't have to respond to it. And that's why we have what we have at chrisanhall.com. We have it, we have it at libertyfirstuniversity.com. 
And what people can now, it's like you said, it's, it's the door is open. Yeah. The discussion is there. And so now the opportunity, there's no excuse anymore. The opportunity is out there to bring forward the truth. And, and again, as JC said, it's so important for us to go back to original source documents because the, inevitably, you know, the people from the 1619 Project, the pundits and the professors who have, who have a career and life vested interest in denying truth, they're going to be giving you all of the, oh, well, this history book said this and this expert said this, but you have to be, you know, and I like the fact that he called it the 1776 Commission because it drives you back to a place. Mm -hmm. What did the people of 1776 actually say? He didn't say, what's we need a 2020 commission on establishing the history of America, right? He, so he directed people back to that place. Yeah, that date has meaning. They, um... You're talking about the responses and and how 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 someone should respond with substantive you know uh, content, but what has traditionally been the response of Republicans is no response at all. Yeah, that's the difference between this president and previous Republican mindsets, which right. is which is I think why we kind of explained this, why the establishment Republicans don't like President Trump. Um, you think back to a guy like George W. Bush, who put forth this the, the new tone, which was this mealy-mouthed non-response mm -hmm. of let's play nice with these leftists I think, uh, and they'll be nice to us, which is I think nonsense. George W. Bush created Donald Trump. Because the people who are Republicans got are, are sick and tired of right. that. Right? So that so that's the it, difference. It was a failed technique. Yeah, and then and that's that to me is one of the core differences, one of the core sort of uh, defining characteristics of the Trump administration is he responds. Mm -hmm. You look at the press conferences, like the press secretary that he has now. Um, you know. Respond, and when these reporters say something stupid, in fact, President Trump answers, and they respond, and they don't let them get away with stuff. I, I wish he would do it even more. I mean, there are occasions where reporters say some something stupid or put forth some stupid narrative, and I, mm -hmm. and and he kind of goes back at it. And I'm I'm thinking go even harder, but that has been a distinct, a defining characteristic where there is a response. Under previous administrations, there would be there would be no thought. The 1619 Project would be allowed to run wild, and the Republicans would be trying to figure out a way to say nice things uh, without criticizing. Let's be all inclusive and blah, 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 not hurt anybody's feelings. Um, and Trump just answers with a counter, whether you like the way he does it or not. Right. He, he does not just let that kind of stuff stand. And so this is a counter response where... You're not trying to play nice. It's like, okay, guys, you're lying. Let's get the truth out. Here's the truth. We need to start something that gets the truth out. Right. Um, so he calls them on their lies in, in one way or another. Well, and I think that should be what the American people are doing. We, you know, I mean, yeah. Trump has the platform, but we right. have the power. And we have the at-home, in-your-neighborhood power. Yeah. Uh, we saw that here in Missouri. We had the weekend 
here teaching the Constitution, a little boot camp here mm -hmm. in Missouri. And people were already posting on their Facebook pages, posting in their social media, and getting pushback from their friends and family members because we taught about uh, the forgotten founders. Mm -hmm. We taught you, you taught about the more than victims, America's hidden black history, and people were taking pictures and posting on on their social media and getting pushback from their friends and family members uh, because of the partisan politics. You know, I mean, how crazy is that when you post a picture of Crispus addicts and the only thing you say is, do you know, the? have you ever heard of Crispus addicts? He's the first man to give his life for every American's liberty. And then to have your friends and family members go on a tirade about how you, they're shocked that you're engaging in such partisan politics. If there is one thing that may not be good about Donald Trump's 1776 commission is that it's coming from Trump and it's making it look, and, and this, the other side is able to say, oh, look, this is a Trump thing. You're a, another reason why we're going to be Trump sycophants. And, yeah, maybe. And it's a political thing. But, you know? those, but people like that are going to say that regardless. Yeah. And if nobody else is going to do it, you yeah. know, as far as from 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 a, a political right from from a, an right. elected official or whatever, if nobody else you elected is going to do anything, then right? Why not him? Well, and, and that brings up a really good point, JC. Why is it that Trump is the one who is finally doing this? Yeah. How many politicians have you had? Uh, I mean, we have known personally who have gotten into office by quoting the founding fathers and giving magnanimous yeah, speeches right. about American history and the greatness, yeah, you know? Yeah, and here's Where a, are the senators right. and the House reps that should have been saying this since 2010 yep. when they got into office on the on the Tea Party ticket? Yeah, and here and so here's a guy, here's a president that the never Trumpers say, "Oh, he's not a real Republican. He's not a real conservative and all this sort of stuff." But you guys who have called yourself conservatives what have you done like this yeah so so how is this alleged non-conservative not a true republican actually advocating uh teaching people the truth about the drafters of our founding documents mm -hmm. the foundation how, how is this non-republican not true conservative doing this uh and, and you've done nothing so right that's the one thing I think the president and, and people people who watch the show you we they know we're not uh, Trump cheerleaders, but I think you have to be honest about these things that he's done and and, mm -hmm. and how how he uh, puts this stuff forward. He the president really serves to expose you know to your to your point of why has nobody done anything. He really serves to expose the cowardice and the spinelessness of the the congressmen the senators that we've had for for decades and decades who mm -hmm. who do nothing they go there and they play the game together with the democrats they right. unite democrats and Republic, republicans unite to to destroy the liberties of america and they don't do anything to stop uh the attack mm -hmm. and and then again like bush you know we'll play nice and then they'll be nice to us that's crazy so just like those people that you're referring to, they're gonna they're gonna say that regardless. It doesn't matter who does it, and they are so brainwashed, particularly in the realm of the church, that has been so brainwashed in 
anything you say like that, oh, it's political, you're not supposed to be doing it, you're supposed to be partisan, because the church has that same mentality mm-hmm. of play nice with the people who are trying to destroy oh, everything around you. Oh, but I see, you have you. to turn the other cheek, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we know all, all of the sort of biblical verses and, and doctrines that are stretched and distorted uh, to support that kind of thing of, mm-hmm. you know, just like the prominent pastor who says, you know, he couldn't do anything about his wife being sexually assaulted in front of him except pray for the, uh, pray for the uh, perpetrator. Because you have you know, to love your enemy. You have to love your enemy. That's mm-hmm. what the Bible tells you to do. I mean, forget about love your wife and love your neighbor, but it, love your, em- that's, that's the weird, the weird sort of perspective in these types of Christians and church folk how that it's actually love the enemy mm-hmm. takes the highest priority. Mm-hmm. So that person abusing the innocent, mm-hmm. the person abusing your neighbor, the person destroying your family, you're mm-hmm. supposed to love them more than the person being destroyed. Yeah. It is, it, that's not Christianity, in my opinion. That's right. a mental disorder. That is, that is <laughs> in pure insanity. But you have, I mean, America has path. Pastors are people in the pulpit uh, teaching that sort of uh, perspective for for decades, decades and decades and decades. And so I'm I'm never surprised when I see that, particularly when they're church people who come with that reaction. Oh, you're being so part of because they've been taught this twisted ideology from their pulpits. Well, Nancy Pelosi has her panties in a wad because of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and all the discussion of replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg before the election. Uh, Let me just say to you uh, once again, it is the president who nominates. It is the Senate who appoints, not the other way around. So Donald Trump is not responsible if there actually is an appointment made. That will be up to the Senate. And the, or, or if there's not. Or if there's not, that will be up to the Senate. Donald Trump has already submitted his list. And so uh, when we say it's up to the Senate because of the, you know, the, the corrupt way it's organized, what we're really saying is it's up to Mitch McConnell to bring it before the Senate. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, to, but, an, to an extent. I mean, you again, the, the Senate's not like the House. It's not... Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're even if you're the majority leader in the Senate, that doesn't mean you have full control. You know, to do whatever you want in the Senate because the Senate's different. You, yeah. That is true in the House. That's not yeah, but it is Senate, it is but, not true by the rules. But the yeah. deference that all the senator senators give to the yeah, I mean, to the to the Senate president is all of it's yeah done. correct. So they're not going to do it without yeah, his leadership because it's political. Considerations, right? So exactly. in in the so in, once again, the, it's going to be House, up to McConnell to do yeah, that. So in the House, it's the Speaker of the House just boom, whatever the Speaker mm-hmm. of the House says, that's it. That you know, he or she controls it in the Senate. So it's political consideration, so that the Senate Majority Leader has to maneuver a little bit because he could be waylaid and it would hurt his political career, or the other way around. Yeah. So there's all. So the Senate is always about political considerations, election, you know, that. So when you see, for instance, in this context, uh, Collins, somebody like Collins say, Susan Collins saying, you know, I'm not, I won't vote or we, 
Actually, she doesn't say, I won't vote, I don't think, but it's always this, you know, room for maneuvering. The Senate shouldn't vote on a nominee until after the election. So why does she say that? Well, because if she voted in favor of the president's nominee, because she's in such a blue, uh, blue-leaning state, mm-hmm. then she might lose. So that's just a microcosm of how all of these senators, uh, people in the Senate, um, make their decisions. So that that's because where it's, the con- it's because once again it's, it's political. Not yes. it's not principle. Not it's political. It's not all principle. Political. It's not constitutional. Nope. Um, I was actually listening to you teach your class this morning, JC, and you're you're teaching these. House rules, Senate rules, the principles, how that all works. And it was interesting because you were describing to the students a little bit of what we were talking about now about how in the House of Representatives, the rules, not the Constitution, the House rules establish that the, that the Speaker of the House is the, the monarch, it is absolute control. But in the Senate, that's not the case. In the Senate, the Senate rules establish that each senator has an equal voice and that the, you know, that the, the leader of the Senate doesn't have that position. And it occurred to me, I know why. I know why it's like that. It's like that because of Article 5. Article 5 of the Constitution establishes in writing that every senator shall have equal suffrage in the Senate. And so they can't create Senate rules that establish the monarchical hierarchy like they have in the House because they have Article 5 that says every senator shall have equal uh, suffrage in the Senate. We don't have that for the House of Representatives. So that's how you get the Speaker of the House who has this literally unlimited power. In some committees, we talked about this years ago, in some committees, the Speaker of the House actually has five votes in one committee, one person, five votes. And I was just thinking, if our founders had had a little bit of futuristic vision, maybe they would have put that same clause in for the House of Representatives as they do for the Senate. Right. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that has to do with the filibuster. People don't understand that, Mm -hmm. you know, so because... By tradition, any senator. Uh, so in, in the House, you have time limits for debate, mm-hmm. right? That's what they call the special rules, and they set special rules that dictates that, that lays out how much time for debate, who controls the time, who gets time, whatever. And that's what you always hear. You know, uh, I yield a minute to the gentlewoman from New York. That right. sort of thing. In the Senate, uh, the senator has as much time as they want when they're done speaking. That that's it, right? So they have they can say they can take as long as they like, as long as they are continuing, you know, to speak. So you've seen like Rand Paul, I think, read Dr. Seuss or something. I mean, he stood up for you know hours and I think hours, thirty six hours, hours. He yeah. filibustered. So that that's the filibuster. So that's one of the reasons uh, that. The way that operates, and then then one person doesn't have a lot of that power. Even the majority doesn't have total power because any any one any senator can do that. And then you have to have you know a supermajority to shut them up, 
uh, and get cloture to end debate and all this sort of thing. So it, it, it's a different way in which the Senate works. And so when you look at <clears throat> this uh, confirmation as far as president nominating a Supreme Court justice, and then the Senate has to vote to confirm that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think with, uh, with confirmations, it only takes a simple majority. Right. So they mm -hmm. only need, you know, 51 uh, votes to confirm. They don't need supermajority, that sort of thing. Uh, so theoretically, they could get this done. Right. So the president could nominate a uh, a, a Supreme Court. Well, he's already the, made his list. It's right. up to the it's up to the Senate now to consider the list and to to take a vote, and then they would have the confirmation hearings, right, to determine you know whatever well, who, it is that they determine. They nominates from that right. list, but yeah. they they could vote and boom, you have a Supreme Court justice. So so Nancy Pelosi. That's the big debate. Nancy Pelosi said yesterday. Uh, that she would not rule out impeachment as an option to stop President Trump's U.S. Supreme Court pick from being confirmed to the bench. Uh, she said that we will use every arrow in our quiver to block the eventual nominee. Now, number one, the Republicans did this to themselves when Barack Obama was president and Mitch McConnell and the Senate blocked this. But I want to point out something that is error in here. Who exactly is Nancy Pelosi going to impeach to block the appointment of the uh, of the nominee, right? Because yeah, she's impeachment. She's what's she going to move to impeach a senator? Because remember, it's the Senate that appoints. It's only the president that nominates. And remember, we've already been through this whole impeachment fiasco. The president can only be impeached for high crimes and misdemeanors, bribery, right? Yeah, I don't understand. Bribery, who, high crimes, and misdemeanors, who, treason. Who, who who could she possibly impeach to stop? Who the could she Senate impeach? confirmation process? Exactly, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. First off, it has nothing to do with the House, right? And the president nominates. Then it's in the hands of the Senate. And how are you going to impeach impeaching? Donald Trump anyway to avoid? Uh, what are you going to impeach him on at this point? They've pretty much, you know, they've off, exhausted that. And they've beaten that dead horse to death. Yeah, so and, and first off... Impeach him for what? Yeah, that's the thing. If you've already declared that the reason you're impeaching him is yes. to stop a nomination, yes. guess what? That's an impeachable offense. Yes. You're actually <laughs> setting yourself up for impeachment, right, Nancy oh, but, Pelosi? But yourself. Pelosi... Pelosi and the Senate have decided that impeachment is not for them, that they are not subject to impeachment. So when uh, when the when the impeachment clause says um, all civil, the president, the vice president and all civil officers, they've determined that they are not civil officers, that impeachment only applies to the president, the vice president and to the people in the executive branch, right? Yeah. So, you know, according to the politicians, you can't impeach someone in the House, you can't impeach someone in the Senate, and you can't impeach a Supreme Court justice. Right. And and there's which is lie. Yeah. So so the Senate could Donald Trump nominate, the Senate could confirm, right? With fifty one votes. There is no there is currently no filibuster 
for uh, presidential nominees. Okay, so the, so this it can't even be filibustered. Yeah. The, the what they call the nuclear option that they need a sixty vote so, sixty votes to stop to uh, stop a filibuster. But That's Nancy Pelosi, what part of Congress is Nancy Pelosi? She is the House. Right. The House has nothing, nothing to do with the appointment of Supreme Court justices. She says, we have options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. But the fact is, we have a big challenge in this country. This president has threatened to not even accept the results of the election. She said, and our, our main goal, our main goal would be to protect the integrity of the election as we protect the people from the coronavirus. Yeah. First off, that's a lie. The president's threatened not to accept the results of the election. That's garbage. He's, he's not said that. They've asked, will you, uh, will, will you accept the results? And he says, we'll see. Yeah. Okay, I mean, what does that mean? If there's fraud or whatever, yeah, we'll see. You can't make a prediction so, oh, we'll accept any result. What if the result's fraudulent? No, I don't accept a fraudulent result. That means total nonsense. Any any yeah. reasonable person would have the same position. It's not peculiar to Donald Trump. Um, they're the ones signaling that they won't accept the results if it's a result oh, you remember that says what, Donald Trump wins. You know, remember what Zuckerberg yeah. Whatever his name so, is, Zuckerface said. So, he said, I'm going to, yeah, we need told. to make sure we have a, a concession. Right. So Pelosi is giving this interview with, um, I think it's Stephanopoulos, uh, and says, yeah, Stephanopoulos, we, she, here's Nancy Pelosi's quote. We have a responsibility. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. We have a responsibility to meet the needs of the American people. Yeah. <laughs> Those things don't go together, Nancy. They simply don't go together. And if your job is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, Nancy Pelosi, then you would know that you, as the Speaker of the House, have no authority and no have no right to assert an authority over the appointment of a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So in the Senate, it's now a 53-47 split. Okay, which, and then of course you have uh, Mike Pence as in in the event of a tiebreaker, right? Mm -hmm. So the Republicans for, for the nominee not to be confirmed, for this not to be successful, it would take four Republicans to refuse to go along. Um, and so it'll be interesting. I believe, I think everybody agrees for the most part, Donald Trump can or should nominate. Mm -hmm. The debate is about then what should the Senate do? Right. Should the Senate vote now or should, should the Senate vote after the election? Well, now I made before a video election, on this. Before the election, it, it, the issue is for Republicans. If four Republicans refuse, then then it dies, right? And so then you have to think, what is that going to do for their political career? What and how would they consider that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's the sort of, of well. But you also have to and, figure and out after the election, will there be four? Right. Yeah. What's right. going to be your exactly. your numbers after the election? But yeah. constitutionally speaking, go to my Facebook page. Go to YouTube. I did a three-minute video on this yesterday, okay? Constitutionally speaking, there's no reason why the Senate would not start confirmation. 
The Constitutionist does not establish that that confirmations are dependent upon elections. It does right. not establish that you have to wait 30 days. Right. As a matter of fact, the the principle is that you replace as soon as possible. Yeah. And and so, so there's the no debate, reason. All the debate are purely political considerations, not constitutional not considerations. Cons- there's no, no reason not to nominate. There's no reason not to vote. Um, Except now, that you think back at, at how they pulled their shenanigans when Barack Obama was right. president. Now they've given the the their other political side the ammunition to say you uh, you are a hypocrite. You know, well, politicians are hypocrites. We know that's how that works. Politics is hypocritical. It's about I, power. And now, JC, the big headlines are that the Supreme Court fight is taking away from the coronavirus talk. And the spending and the spending bills, right? right? So because we're so focused, because we have an attention span of like a flea, we are so focused on now this, now the Senate, the House, they can't concentrate on on the coronavirus spending. They can't concentrate on taking, well, you know, and Nancy Pelosi says meeting. That's why she said that we must meet the needs of the American people. That's what she was referring to. This discussion is taking away from our ability to meet the needs of the people in the the spending bill. Which is completely false, okay, because the way the process works, you know, if, if they have a bill, and I think both both chambers have a bill. And so now they're really, and I don't, I think, I don't know that both have passed. There's one has passed. Mm-hmm. I think the House passed one, or maybe the Senate passed one or the other passed one. The other one has one, hasn't uh, passed, I think. But the the way that works is their negotiations between particular people, usually uh, chairmen of committees or whatever, mm-hmm. that are negotiating this. This is not the whole House having to decide this and the whole House does one thing at one time. That's not the way the legislature works. So this notion that we, we can't do this one thing because we're doing another thing is another lie. It's another Pelosi lie. Cause that's, but most of your Americans don't know how Congress functions. They have mm-hmm. no idea. So you've got some committee over here, some handful of members hashing out the details. They make it sound like Pelosi's doing everything. She's she has to make all the negotiations. She can only make one negotiation at a time, uh, or the whole house is doing it, and we can't do more than one thing at a time. That's not the way the legislature works. No, but so that's this is total garbage. But once that's again. politics, right? She's so full of propaganda, it's unbelievable. But it's politics, right? Because they don't want the people to focus on more than one thing right. at a time. Exactly. Because then that dilutes. You know, it's sort of like using all your all your all your marbles in one thing. Yeah. You're gonna spread them out so the people well, can can actually be distracted because, longer. Well, because and, and because otherwise the people would realize there's no excuse. Yeah, there's they no They would excuse. realize these excuse excuses are are garbage. They're false. Well, it's total today, total today the Department of Justice did a mic drop, JC. Oh, yeah. Today, the Department of Justice did a mic drop. And I want to say, on the record, this is what we've been teaching now for 11 years. So the Department of Justice today... Oh, JC's birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, JC. (laughs) I'm older than he is, so I can tease him about that. 
the um, the Department of Justice today issued a uh, a statement that says the Department of Justice identifies New York City, Portland, and Seattle as jurisdictions permitting violence and destruction of property. It says the U.S. Department of Justice today identifies the following three jurisdictions that have permitted violence and destruction of property to persist and have refused to undertake reasonable measures to counteract criminal activities. New York City, Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington. The Department of Justice is continuing to work to identify jurisdictions that meet the criteria set out in the President's Memorandum and will uh, periodically update the list of selected jurisdictions as required by them. Now, what's amazing, this is what it says. When state and local leaders impede their own law enforcement officers and agencies from doing their jobs, it endangers innocent citizens who deserve to be protected, including those trying to peacefully assemble and protest. William Barr says, we cannot waste, we cannot allow federal tax dollars to be wasted in the balance. It's my hope that the cities identified by this Department of Justice today will reverse course and become serious about performing their basic functions of government and start protecting their own citizens. So sending in federal troops is not the solution, but the executive branch absolutely has the authority to say, we will not allow executive funding to go into these places when they are not holding up their obligation to preserve, defend, and protect the rights of the people. And this is what we've been saying all along. You cannot, you cannot go against the Constitution of the United States, and you cannot go against the state constitution and expect to get federal funding. Most people don't realize, JC, that this that the federal government has just as much obligation to support and defend the state constitution as the state has to support and defend the federal constitution. It is, a, it is, in that case, a reciprocal relationship. The Tenth Amendment says the states have to follow the laws that are created, per, and the sixth, Article 6 says that the states have to follow the laws that are, are created in pursuance of the constitution. Well, the Tenth Amendment also says that the powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states which means the federal government has an obligation to not undermine the state constitution as well. And by sending federal dollars to a government that is undermining the state constitution, they are supporting the undermining of that state constitution and federal funding should be revoked. I mean, federal funding should be revoked anyway. There should be no such thing, right? Mm -hmm. We all know here at the Daily Journal that federal funding unconstitutionally exists. But in this case, it is operating within that unconstitutionality that we are withdrawing that because they are failing to do and fulfill their obligations and their duties. And so finally, yes, seriously, I can't think of a more powerful thing. Can you think of a more powerful punishment to a uh, 
I hate to, you know, I don't like using Democrat, Republican, but to Democrat controlled cities that absolute lawless cities that are absolutely completely dependent upon federal funding. Because you see, it's the Democrat-controlled cities that are the ones that are always screaming for federal funding. It's the Democrat-controlled cities that say, oh, we can't survive without federal funding. Now, the Republicans do as well, but there's there's still that tendency to, to not accept all of it, right? But it's the yeah. utter plantational dependency of these Democrat-controlled lawless cities. And, and this is like the best punishment I can think of. We have heard from... Friends in New York, that New York City is becoming and will be a financial wasteland. Yes. Um, And de Blasio has 15 months left in office. To finish destroying New York City. New York City may be at this point beyond restoration to the point that it was in without decades of rebuilding. The financial heart of the planet is becoming a wasteland under these Democrats. And and even de Blasio is freaking out. He's not going to do anything different, but how are we going to get, when, when are we going to get people back to New York City? Well, how are we going to get the businesses no, back? <laughs> their whole concept of, of, of recovering from the damage they've created is to squeeze more money uh, out of people. Yeah. Right, to steal more money from people. That's how he wants to fix it. They, they don't make the connection that, hey, that's one of the major reasons why you're destroying it, why well, everybody's leaving. Right. And Cuomo, who's got, who's got the whole state to worry about, yeah. is seeing not only a mass exodus from the city, but from the entire state as a whole. What was it? They, were, they have no teachers. They have no teachers. Teachers have fled New York. Yeah. They have no teachers to open the schools back up again. And de Bazzi is like, hey, our house is burning down. Somebody get some gas so we can put this fire out. <laughs> Good job, buddy. Well, that's the end of our show today, guys. Thank you for joining us. Remember, we are a teach show and not a talk show. Uh, so much to learn. We have, you know, we have just a short bit of time to do it. So keep with us and stay with us all week. Don't forget, you can go to libertyfirstuniversity.com. Get this education all the time every day at your own pace. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. We will see you tomorrow while we are in back in Florida.